0: Welcome to The Art of Growth and a new year. This is Jim Zartman, and today Joel Hubbard and I are starting a new season, a new year, a new direction. As you know, we spend a lot of time talking about self-awareness and the Enneagram and personal growth, but there's another component to this, which is the social awareness. And so we want to spend some time talking about that. Before we jump into today's episode, if you haven't already, please sign up for our newsletter at theartofgrowth.org. And if you have any questions about coaching or training for your organization, you can reach out to us there as well. Now, in this episode, we refer to a Harvard happiness study. And if you look in the show notes of this episode, I have left a link to that article. So I would encourage you to check that out. But for now, let's jump into this first episode around connection. So this whole series that we are going to be embarking on came out of a conversation where we were talking about how we have spent so much time over the last few years talking about the inner world, the inner growth. Uh, But then one of the things you said, you said something along the lines of like, but you do not actually have a full concept of your identity outside of community. Mm -hmm. So it's really in the exchange the relationships of the people around us that we we see this Um, but then when I was thinking about all the conversations we had and all the podcasts we're going to hit this one phrase that you said stuck out to me a lot that I think is going to be something we return to throughout this whole series where you said the ego isn't designed for connection but protection yeah so we're going to we're going to go through all this. Our starting point today is we're going to start to name the problem. Like what do you see out there? What are you perceiving is happening right now with people in connection and isolation? Like what are what are some of the things that prompted you to want to also dive into this?
1: Probably years of talking to folks who are usually talking about some kind of relationship, you know, when they're talking to us about, you know, getting some coaching. Mm. There's certainly some their own inner challenges, issues that they're dealing with, you know such as like their image of themselves, the yeah. uh, sort of career, and how that's going, um, but inevitably it goes to relationships as well, yeah. and what I would find was that and it was reflective of my own life every time I coach somebody, I think back, I think of the same thing about myself. am I doing the same things, which I was finding a lot of this difficulty people had with. Real connection. So there you could I could see the ego kicking in and trying to get its needs met its way, not trying to get its needs met by a sort of mutuality or a mm. an ability to receive. I have phrased this in so many different ways where it's some who can give but can't receive. And others mm-hmm. who seem to be receiving, I don't think it's true receiving, but it's sort of a taking, but I have a difficult time giving. Yeah. And I don't know that we can do both unless there's an ability to do it in the context of true connection with another person. And true connection can't happen unless we are walking down the path of, of vulnerability, openness to another person, truthfulness. The ability to actually receive from a person, like genuinely Mm -hmm. receive, not just consume, take what we want, but receive what is being given to us. And that's different than just selectively picking and choosing what it is we we think
0: we need. Yeah, you've said this with when it comes to couples, you've said this about parents, but sometimes we tune so much into the way we want to be loved that we miss the way that this person is already trying to love us in their way.
1: Yeah. And that's actually so good for us. We think yes. it's it's not what I need, it's not what I want right now. But if we are a social species, we are made to actually thrive by being together and by ex- this exchange that happens between us. Yeah. Um and I and again I think it's just the ego gets in the way.
0: You know? Yeah. One of the things that prompted us to even want to go down this is we both uh, listened and and read the, the same uh, I think it was a NPR story around the Harvard happiness study of seeing who are the most happy. And it was consistent throughout this 85 years that they see that mm-hmm. the quality of people's relationships really determine their level of life satisfaction. And then we also both got into watching that Blue Zones yeah. uh, <laughs> series on Netflix. And there, that it's actually even health- like physical health and emotional health has to do with the quality of our relationships as well. I just heard a psychologist talking about how um, people who are the most isolated, their bodies stay in a low-level fight-or-flight response. Mm. So your stress hormones, cortisol, that is higher. All of that has a deteriorating effect on your immune system and on your body. Mm. So one of the things prompted us is we wanted to talk about this sort of epidemic of loneliness. What's prompting it? Why is it happening? What can we do about it? How do we address it? But we do hear about this all the time, people talking about feeling, you know, a lack of community... And some of it is like in in humorous form. I've seen, you know, memes. There's one video I saw the other day pop up on a reel or something like that where this guy was saying, I I don't really have enough relationships and friendships in my life. And the person replied, do you think to have relationships, you probably need to leave your house and (laughs) spend time where people are? And the guy going, "Ah, not worth it. And back, And it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of like, I think there's a lot of that happening. Yeah. You know, remote work, there's so much of this happening.
1: Yeah. And then we uh, begin to treat, I mean, you talk about work, you start to treat people mm-hmm. and in transactional ways. You know, it's like, I I need this from you. This has yeah. to be done by so. So our communication becomes stiff. It becomes mm. uh, punctuated. It becomes very, very short. So there's no, there's no affect in there because we're so stressed and we have to get stuff done. Yeah. That's not universal. It doesn't happen everywhere all the time, but it does happen in high stress environments. And so you have, you have less of that. Well, and then you imagine then you go to the store and let's say you, you go through the checkout and there it's also extremely transactional, very Mm -hmm. little like, Hey, how are you? Very little of that happens. So you can imagine you're constantly around people who you should have connection with, yeah. but you're constantly being disappointed by that. And most of the time, we're not tuning into that, but it's, I would suggest it's micro disappointments. It's like so small, you don't really perceive it, except that you become more cynical about human nature and about, or about human, humanity in general. Mm. You just become more cynical, more skeptical, um, you don't you know you you just don't expect anything from people and then if you go home and let's say your home environment is one in which you're so busy because you have kids you've yeah. got uh, you know you've got a, you've got a partner you've got you've got so much there to do that that also can become like okay time to brush your teeth okay you know, Did you do your homework? Okay. This and then you know even with our, with with partners it bec- it can become that way too. Like, did you pick up the yeah. the eggs at the store? Did you do this? Did you close the door? Did you lock? Do you know, it, mm-hmm. it's it's all of that. And I wonder if the setting of our lives is also very unhelpful. The uh, setting the setting the context. You know, yes. our setting is very uh, designed in. A, I think in a way. And we can blame the settings, and I think that's in part true, but it's also in part that we've created some of the setting. It's maybe reimagining how can we change that so we can deliberately help ourselves through the setting to have
0: a better context for connection. That's an interesting thing you talk about setting. I did just see a video. I can't remember um, what country in in Europe they were, but they were talking about how in certain parts of Europe, they really value this thing called the third space. (laughs) <laughs> so, you have, like, your first space, which is your home. Second place is work. And they're saying that America doesn't have a lot of, like, the third space. Mm. So, a third space, they were demonstrating, like, these courtyards where people would hang out. Yeah. The adults would be out around the edges, like, having conversations or even doing work. And the kids are, like, in the middle playing. Yeah. So, like, there were certain kinds of playgrounds. Um, I think the the original business model of Starbucks was to create a third place. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and so that was kind of their idea. It was like, yes, communal and work yeah. and all of these things could be happening, people going on dates there or having interviews there and all of that was happening. But how like our um, our culture in general doesn't have a lot of this what we call third space. Mm. And there's not the expectation That you're going to meet or connect with someone in some of these public spaces, Mm -hmm. right? So we were invited recently to a couple like networking events and it was so fun because... The whole point is, you're supposed to talk to strangers. Yeah, you're supposed to randomly walk up to a group of people and just butt into the conversation and then get to know people. And yeah, yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was. Like it was. We were was. we were both like buzzing after oh, the yeah, things. Oh yeah, there's a lot of energy. Yeah, because it was like it's connected to what we care about in our work, and we're meeting these people, and like we're following up and having conversations, and all of that. It feels like oh, I'm I'm a part of what's happening in my mm-hmm. my city and the network, and all of that. Like does create a sense of belonging. Yeah. Even like the art of growth's belonging in our city, in our state, like like even to that level, which was interesting. But there was an aspect that you brought up when we were naming the problem that it would sound woo-woo to me if I didn't know it to be deeply true, which is this thing about um, when it comes to loneliness and isolation, this idea of exile Mm-hmm. Could you just give a like a snapshot of your your thinking around
1: that? yeah I've thought a lot as you know we've I've talked to oh, you yeah. a lot about this idea of exile um to me, I think that there's and there are different origin stories certainly um different cultures There's a couple that I really enjoy one is uh, from the Kabbalah and the other one is from the Hebrew scriptures in genesis but it's this idea that, according to the Kabbalah, that at one point the divine figure, the, the eternal one, I think is the way it's called, Is is uh, fills everything up with itself. It mm-hmm. completely fills the entire universe, let's say. And then there's a point at which the, the divine figure pulls itself back in order to create space for others uh, or to create space for creation to, to take place. And different renditions of it have it in different ways. But at some point, the the light of the divine light is put into these vessels, these ten vessels, um, but they can't contain it, and so they shatter, and the fragments go everywhere. And then there's a point at which uh, there's a return of that. That the, we're supposed to be ones who find the light and bring it back to its whole. So we're looking for light wherever it is, and we're bringing it back. And there's a return. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It's one of my favorite origin stories. Uh, and in the book of Genesis, you have this idea of being exiled from the garden, and then there's a constant moving outward. There's like a, an exile away from home. And I think it's psychologically true. I think that's, that's why it sticks. It's because we know the feeling of being pushed out and exiled. Mm. And there's always this hope for return. But we, we know it even from birth because yeah. at one point— we're in our mother's womb and there is no distinction between the self and the, the mother, the source, right? Yeah, exactly, the source. Exactly. the source, exactly, yeah. right, absolutely. I mean, that's, what, I think, the reason why it's so beautiful to make that comparison between that and the divine. Because it's like, at some point, all things are one, you know, unit, complete unity. And then there's this, you know, big bang, <laughs> this explosion. You know, in the mother's womb, there's this exile, you know, and we're forced out. And when we're forced out, it's a violent forcing and it is a violent exile out. And then we are faced with a very cold world in which we are now alone, separated from. And of course, the baby's brought back to the mother. And uh, hopefully there's a bond that takes place there. Mm. But it's still, you have been exiled. So you know that. You know that from very early on. And I think that that's the, the sense that we carry within ourselves. And because of that. We have to protect ourselves from the pain of disconnection. This is what I think the ego does more than it does, uh, more than it's there to meet any need. I think it's there to protect us from the pain Yes, in any way, which is why we continue to protect ourselves from pain, which is the protective brain. It's the protective mind as opposed to sort of the thriving mind. And I think that that's the, the biggest challenge we have for that return from exile to connection, to source. Is that it requires us to move from that protective brain to one that's more open and can relax into connection? But I and I know that from a like a real internal visceral feeling even prior to connection. When I'm relaxed, connection happens. Yes, right. And when connection happens, I'm also relax. I also find myself relaxing. Yeah. So it's kind of both. Both things are happening, and I find I'm not as angsty. I'm not as like anxious or or hurried
0: or needy. Yeah, it's interesting because I can almost spot sometimes the internal energy to where I'm going connection, no protection, oh, connection, yeah. Yeah. protection. Yeah, and I think this happens all the time because I see people whether they're you know you know dating again after having been in a relationship for years, and it's like there's this hope of connection, and then this pullback to protection, or I've been really busy and now like I actually need to like make new relationships. I need to like go on interviews and be able to interact with people. I need to do whatever. And it's this, I need to put myself out there and have hope of something I desire or need to happen. And then the pullback. And I see this happening in myself all the time. And I wonder how, how many people would relate to this feeling of like this desire for connection. And so there's a lean in. And then there's either a fear of disconnection or a pain or this confirmation. And then there's a pullback. And we all do it for different reasons. um, Like several different eights have said, and then one of them phrased it the other day so perfectly, which is this belief that I need to be prepared to be abandoned. Mm -hmm. And so each type would have a different explanation on that or a different phrase for that. But the core thing that I think is universal is this moving back and forth between those energies and self-preservation and needing to protect myself and the the connective one because yeah. we need that too yeah and so there's we're constantly being pushed and pulled i think back and forth in this yeah energies. i think that's well said and
1: cuz i don't think it's one or the other i don't think it's like you're always right. in the ego brain just protecting itself or you know, always looking for connection. I think it is very much we're we're torn with both. We have a need for both for both, yeah. Um, and in any given moment, one gets you know you might get triggered. You're in a relationship and things are going well, and you're connecting well, and then something happens. You know, you and and the message you receive from that event is what your bias is looking for. Mm-hmm. So it confirms, just like you said, you know, the eight who says. I'm, pre- I'm prepared. I have to be yeah. prepared uh, to be abandoned, to yeah. be let down. Well, if, you, if that's your bias, you're looking for it, right? And if you're mm-hmm. looking for it, you're going to find it. And so that molehill turns into a mountain. And then there's this like real strong reaction to it. And I think for all of us, that's, that's what mm-hmm. we're facing in relationship. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like we're setting the reality here of like <laughs> this is what we all deal with, which is why connection Is
0: really difficult. Yes. Because even what we are often seeking in connection, and there's a whole lot of psychologists talking about this right now, is we're actually seeking confirmation of what we believe about the world and what we think people are going to treat us like in our interaction, like more than we're actually seeking healthy connection. Mm -hmm. So we need, we seek protection more than we seek connection. But in order to have that protection, we're seeking confirmation of the story that we have. So there's lots of examples where if you had a chaotic family life as a child, what they te- people tend to seek in a relationship is they tend to recreate what that is familiar, Yeah. right? The devil that you know. So I'm looking for confirmation that this is what love looks like, so that it looks chaotic. I had a family member who stayed with us for a few weeks. And after two weeks, she kind of confusingly looked at Abby and I and said, you know what's weird? I've been here for two weeks and I haven't heard anyone yell. Hmm. Because the perception is that if a family is together, that there's a lot of like yelling involved. Mm -hmm. That There's a lot of like harsh words exchanged. And to be in our home for a while and see none of that, was almost like a jarring thing. So, because even when she shared that, it was a very from a very skeptical kind of statement. Kind of like, what are you hiding? Was the yeah? Belief.
1: It's not real. It can't be real. It can't
0: be real, yeah. right? And I've had that people say that about watching. I mean, I I've, I've literally had single friends say, I don't really understand how a relationship works. I I look at the two, you know, I'm just kind of confused. Like, what's real? What's really going on there? Like, mm-hmm. how does this? How? How? Yeah. yeah. I had one that just did that. They just pointed back and forth. Like, how? Even with, like, friendships, with relationships, with community, with the people you find yourself with, you have to have a level of awareness to understand when you're seeking connection, when you're seeking protection, and being aware of the mechanisms that are looking for confirmation.
1: Yes. Yeah, you, that, the awareness is massive. Because if you don't, you're just wondering why did that relationship fall apart? Yes. And the the phrase that drives me crazy is, I don't know. I don't know what happened. We just ended up parting. We just ended up going two different directions. Mm. It's like, the I don't know what happened to me is, it, it's indicative of like lack of awareness. You weren't paying yeah. attention to what was going on internally. But it's not, you know, it's not, an, an a, a sh- I can't make this into an accusation. I think it's just an awareness of, I... Am aware to a degree, and I also lack awareness to another degree. And yeah. so, when something happens, this is what I've, I've said before: like triggers are are teachers, man. They mm-hmm. can really start to open your eyes to yourself. Yeah, uh, you know, if you pay attention to them.
0: Yeah, one of the things we wanted to talk about this in this sort of connection crisis part of what's happening in the world around us was we wanted to talk about the substitutes for connection. Yeah, because we're going to get into like real connection how to establish that. But I think to develop this awareness, we need to know what we seek, what kind of confirmations we seek, and some of the areas in which there's what I like to call proxy fulfillment. So it's almost like it's being fulfilled, but it's not really being filled. Like I want a loving partner, but that's really hard. So the person at the corner bar or on the dating app who's going to kind of make me feel better for a a day or a week, then that'll work for now. And like proxy fulfillment, because to have real fulfillment, it takes time, it takes patience, it takes energy. You have to check in, you have to involve the community around you. And all of these things can be difficult. And so because genuine connection is so difficult, we were talking about some of these substitutes. um, And one of them plays into Uh, the podcast from last week where you talked about the archetypes. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that can create connection is this shared uh, shared enemy, the (laughs) shared villain, yeah, what we oppose together. On one
1: hand, having a shared villain, so everyone seems to need, we all seem to need a villain, right? So it's like, what is the threat? What's the, where's the danger at? Mm -hmm. I know there is. I just need to know what it is. That can become its own, I don't know, creating, it becomes the thing that creates uh, groups around that whole thing. Like, okay, so Democrats are the, you know, uh, the enemy or Republicans. Republicans are the enemy. enemy. For the church world, it can be, well, culture, secular society. Mm -hmm. Some other
0: country is the enemy. Some other country, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen so much of that in my lifetime, where yeah. it's the country is either divided and they need an enemy internally, yeah. so you have it's like the the right versus the left kind of a thing. One, the only time I see them really come together is then we have an externalized. enemy.
1: Well, yeah, we, that's exactly right. And
0: some other country that's a threat some other to country, us, then we yeah. can come together. Yeah, yeah. Because as long as we have an enemy.
1: Yep. Yep. And yep. and that can be a a source of. On one hand, validation. Certainly some people, you know, you you feel like maybe you've been mistreated by um, the boss. And so you mm-hmm. go and look for, for, you know, to have conversations with others and they feel the same way. Well, there is a cathartic experience of like, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe I'm not alone in this. And maybe there is something here. Yeah. You know, and then there's all of a sudden a person I've maybe said two words to becomes a friend. We start hanging out now. We start talking a lot.
0: But what you bonded over. So this is like a huge thing for me that really, really bothers me. is this idea of venting. And I hear people talking about it and I am so anti-venting because like there's even more data coming out on this. I just saw a couple pieces that was so good for my soul because I feel like this is something I've been championing for years is that when we vent, we don't actually dissipate The energy within us, we enhance it. It is enhanced and increased by the exchange of that negative energy with another person. So it doesn't, it can feel cathartic in the most negative version of catharsis. (laughs) So there's an aspect where I see this with couples a lot. If they talk crap about their partner behind their partner's back, it will enhance the energy within them that is opposed to their partner. Whereas opposed to this if they keep that um to themselves and they just work on it with their partner, they don't have the same kind of like negative implications. Okay,
1: but I'm gonna counter that with there are some times where it is as someone's emerging from, say, that womb like experience where the womb-like experience sounds sounds very positive. Like we were talking about when you're in your yep. mother's womb, you're fully connected, but there is something that's not quite complete there because you don't have an identity yet. You haven't formed that, right? Um, and so it's not really the sort of unity where you are you both retain your identity, but you're not disconnected from that other person. There's a sense at which unity has found a place, a harmonization. Right? A harmony yeah. means that there is a distinct. Uh, voice and there's another distinct voice and they're coming together the womb-like experience um, will always necessitate an exile and that exile when you first come out of that you're starting to form an identity and so mm-hmm. let's say you're in a relationship where that is a ta- where it's an unhealthy relationship you know yeah, yeah. we'll just call it that and a person's emerging from that and they're starting to strengthen muscles they've never had before yeah you know and there's like so now they're naming some problems with the previous environment and they're needing to, mm-hmm. in order to get a sense of who am I, distinct from that. Right? Yes. it's sort of like a, you know, and that is the 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 path that we take from that unity to you know to identity. Who am yeah. I? Back to unity. So at that point, I think when we're doing a sort of pushing against, if we do it, you know, with you know, it's not you're not going to do it perfectly, but if you can continue down that path to moving back towards okay, the villain needed to be externalized for a little bit. I did. I needed to separate from yeah. my previous environment by calling it bad or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm coming back to like, okay, now I can nuance that a little bit. I can see the where some of that was definitely me, you know. So I do see some positive in that, but it has to continue down that growth path to then right. come back to the place of, of unity and connection. Yeah, but yeah. To, to the point you're making is, if the only thing we're doing is having a common enemy and that's the bond we've created yeah that's a substitute so that's and proxy our common enemy
0: is your spouse <laughs> or your partner yeah yeah like that's and we've been having the same conversation month after month year after year right exactly that's the stuff that i'm and like that's, that's
1: so toxic that's right that's right and that's the stuff that so that's a substitute that's a proxy fulfillment for yes. connection and there are a lot of places where that shows up, you know, yep. as you know, I'm at the gym obscenely six or seven days a week, usually six days. So I don't do seven days, but um, the stories and the conversations, it is always, they're always about like, who's the enemy, you know? So there's like yeah. teasing around that. They generally get along quite well, but there's 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 that, there's that like, oh yeah, oh, he's the liberal. Oh yeah. So, or, you know, and that's the way they kind of speak about things to each other. Right. And so there's this need, again, to like, we are bonded, mm-hmm. and we are bonded around a sort of like, we see the common enemy. There's also a bonding around play. So I think that there are a lot of different settings where we can start to see, hey, these settings could lead you to good connection, but they mm-hmm. can
0: also be become substitutes to the deeper connection. Uh, That's interesting because what you just gave the example of there in the gym, it is this overlap between you're saying there's a lot of like what we're against yeah, yeah. is a bonding thing, but you're also bonding over play.
1: You're bonding over play, Which absolutely. is a really
0: positive way to bond. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And there is, and, and and I can see that that's protected. Like there's an insistence yeah. on, hey, we're here to have fun. We're here to play. We're here to laugh. And if someone becomes overly angry about something and they're yelling at others, that person doesn't, they, they seem to get marginalized <laughs> mm. because the others are like, we're not here for that. We're here to kind of play and have fun and be stupid with each other. And that should be okay if we can do that. Yeah, And so that does create a kind of connection that's very, that I think is, is pretty healthy. But again, this is just levels of connection, right? You can, yeah. I, I'm convinced that connection isn't a one and done thing where you have it or For you sure. don't have it. I am convinced it is something that's a practice that's ever calling to deepening and also a kind of separating, a sense of where, okay, I'm moving away because I'm discovering some things about myself. Yeah, And then coming back so that I can have a deeper sense of unity. And I think that that is necessary. That You have to also know who you are Mm. and continue to understand yourself. And then you come back into a relationship at a deeper connection. That's definitely been my experience with Patty. It's definitely, for me, I, I see it over and over again where I come away and I think, no, I do have I haven't said my truth about this and I need to speak that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I know that's going to cause a separation mm-hmm. and I do it, but if if we continue to do it with that remember we're in this together, we're in this for the for connection with each other, we're committed to that. Let's keep moving in that direction. It does actually
0: produce better connection for sure. Yeah. I think the healthiest connection gives a lot of space for individuation. Yes. That's very, very good. Yeah. Very well said. I think that is so important because otherwise you have these terms like codependent and meshment. That is where there's so much connection, but there's no individuation. Yes. So if there's not enough individuation in the connection, it's not actually a healthy connection.
1: Yeah. Because
0: connection should be, I move toward and I also... Regain and understand a depth of my own identity as I pull and then move. It should be like the moving in and out of that tide. It yeah. should flow that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There, where there is no individuation, you don't have connection. You have reliance, and you have codependence, and you have enmeshment, and it's not a healthy. Well, picture and we of see it.
1: that in tribalistic kind of mindset. So if you if you you know in a group, whether it's a, a you know social group or a church, and it becomes this thing of like, uh, oh, I can't disagree. I can't actually say something here. Because if I do, then I get exiled out of the system, mm. or I get, I get sort of, well, you know, marginalized, or, no. you know, so in that environment, it's not a deeper level of connection. There is a kind of connection, but it's not a deeper kind, and it is around that sort of. See, it's not unity; it's more of a, a an undifferentiated environment. Mm. So we we kind of have these foul lines. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we mostly agree. You know, we can't disagree on certain key things. We all have these agreements around them, and that that becomes another one of those, I think, proxy fulfillments where it's it's about
0: agreement. Yeah, uh, the conditional know. connection. Yeah. So a lot of people who have gone through some kind of a deconstruction or a faith process where they'd been in, in some kind of a spiritual tradition where they experienced conditional connection—you belong, your family—as long as you don't ask that, or think that, or believe that, or go down this foul line, right? Yeah. So I don't know what else to call it other than conditional connection. It's like, we are like family as long as you don't disagree with us. Yeah. About any of this stuff. Yeah. Speaking of families, I mean, that's another
1: place where you're going to see, you know, we were talking to, I'll keep this very anonymous, but so the culture that this individual grew up in was one in which nobody can disagree with mom. Hmm. And so there's like, uh, and this individual is a type eight, and said i I didn't have a need that I didn't feel like I needed to have my needs met by everybody, or right. I, I I wasn't dependent enough. And so because of my independence, or my you know I can meet a lot of my own needs, it was like I'm I'm, I'm sort of on the outside now of this toxic kind of environment. But mm. it was a it was enmeshment. It was a very codependent kind of yeah. you know for the family anyways. And so if you're if you're the one who starts to go, well, I don't really have many needs that need to be met. And right. the system is one in which mom is in charge and 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 meets the needs of the family, and you're all kind of expected to be needy of that. Or Dad's always the one telling you what to do and how to do what to do, but you don't need that anymore, and it disrupts the whole family. Meanwhile, the other kids are fine because they're compliant types, right? So an attachment style is a compliant, uh, stances rather, they're compliant, they're just going along. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then what happens when the one says, I disagree or I don't need that? Right. Well, then that connection gets severed. Yeah. And in a lot of family systems, it really does get severed. It's like you're not part of this undifferentiated enmeshed kind of system so you don't, you know, you don't belong or you don't feel you don't have access to that connection any longer.
0: And the number of people we talk to who refer to their families in some way and don't feel like they belong in their own families in some way and they want to and they're trying to connect and then something happens. I mean, that that comes up all the time because when we talk about this connection and this comes up in our coaching. For some people it's like a parent-child relationship. For some it's partners. For others, it's like my siblings and their families, extended family stuff. And some it's like where where do I fit into this community that I'm I'm a part of that I feel kind of on the outside of, but I mm. really care about and they feel they've helped make me. Because I I yeah. do believe, yeah. you know, that we deeply know that community are identity co-creators. Yeah. You don't have an isolated identity. Yeah, yeah. Um, If so, that's, I don't know if narcissistic is the right term for it, but it's very myopic of my, I only see the world as uh, how I see myself. When the reality of who you really are is always this hybrid of how others experience you to be, yeah. and how you see yourself. You see yourself, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you don't ever see yourself that clearly. No, no. <laughs> None of us do. As yeah. much self-awareness as we work, we need those mirrors. There's a reason our brain has all these mirror neurons because we need mirrors in our lives yeah. to actually even be able to see ourselves with any level of reality. Oh my gosh.
1: So very true. How many times I thought I was so self-aware and then had conversations with, you know, Patty and she would point out like, <laughs> this is the way we we experience you <laughs> It's like right, dang, you know it, it's absolutely right.
0: We have to be confronted with that to see it. it was, yeah. uh, I just heard a stat. I don't know what it was. It just flashed in my mind, and I I don't know the the basis of it. I just thought it was interesting. Where they were talking about seventy five percent of people perceive themselves as being self aware, and only fifteen percent are. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. In my experience, that, that has played out with all no, the people like, oh, that I've
1: seen. How many people have said like they t- they tell oh me how they think they're being experienced or how they think they're coming across. Every company we work it's with. like, you know, you're not coming across.
0: That. Like, wow. <laughs> yes. You really think that. But every company yeah. we've worked with, yeah. they've, the, we've been working with someone, we've been assigned to work with someone who this person thinks they're really self-aware. And the reason we want you to coach them is everyone around them is like, this person is not Not at all self-aware. So there's this huge gap. Yeah. And your perception of yourself, it's not steeped in reality. Yeah. Because everyone around you is experiencing you as the opposite of the thing you think you are. And it can't all be them. No, that's (laughs) that's true. (laughs) Yeah. I had someone say to me during, it was a very hard moment to hear it, but it was after I'd gone through a pretty traumatic thing. And they said something along the lines of any explanation of a situation that doesn't include your responsibility Mm -hmm. is not a realistic Mm -hmm. perception Mm -hmm. of it. That's right. And I was so challenged and offended and knew it was right. I don't think I would have been so offended if I didn't know it was right. Yeah, right. Exactly. But it was deeply true to me going, yeah. Okay. I'm I'm actually not paying attention to something yeah. that I contributed to yeah. this. Yeah. Which I can look back at that situation now and clearly see a lot of ways that oh, I contributed man. to, me to it. Me too. Me too. But at the time. Yeah. But it was still that community that helped me understand that thing about myself and see it in a more reality. Well, and I
1: believe that, that if communities could function this way, they would continue to grow and i think any community that doesn't grow because it's this sort of like again we have this system where we expect you to be dependent or we yeah. expect you to uh, to be compliant and not to disagree with anything we expect yeah. that we all agree we expect that we have a common villain any system that is not growing like that i think is that's that to me is the problem it's connection happens through growth it can, it happens through this back and forth as we were saying where you oh right. I don't think this way or there's something I'm aware of in myself and, Mm. and, uh, and the group will change along with you. You will change as well. So any, I think any group Mm. has to have this conversation, this dialogue between each other, how we're experiencing one another, how we're growing, what's the reality of our impact on other people. Yeah. And, how are we going about trying to make connection? I just did a coaching session with a couple uh, who were, that was part of the challenge was one person's trying to get connection one way. Yep. And the other one's trying to get connection a different way. And both are pathologizing and moralizing the other. It's like. Which is what we tend to do. Well, yeah. What's, (laughs) you know, you're doing it wrong. You know, I don't do it that way. And I've, you know, it's so, it's like, well, you know, as long as you're doing it that way you're not going to get to that place of connection um so you're you're going to have to have the awareness around yeah that's what i'm trying to do that's what that's the way I'm trying to get connection mm. and it is my need, and that's okay there's nothing wrong we you know set yeah. that up like there's nothing wrong it's actually really good to 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 state what your need is clearly, yeah. but without the demand that the world meets
0: it exactly how you think it should be met right because that's the other side is other types they then fault themselves or shame themselves for their needs. That's right. And to them, we've had to have yeah. these conversations around, no, your need is neutral. Yeah. Sometimes the way we go about fulfilling that need is this proxy fulfillment thing. It is this confirmation thing we're talking about. And so we want to... uh Zoom out a bit more and get a bit of a wider perspective. But yeah. even in that context, it's, it's a great step of awareness, which is what we want people to have, to go, oh, this is the way in which I'm asking for connection. Yeah. And it's not, it's not lining up or it's not matching. Well, at least you can name it. This is a great starting right. point. Yeah. So I think that's a huge step. And that's what I – as we kick this series off, this is what I want people to see is just to start to tune into the awareness of like in your those little bids for connection – Yeah. And this is going to come up again, this concept of the bids for connection. Where are you seeing connection and where are you looking for protection? Yeah. And if you're going to go really deep into it, is where are you trying to confirm a belief about how relationships or the world works? Mm -hmm. And get excited when you're looking for confirmation and the confirmation fails because that means you're actually going to have a wider worldview. Mm -hmm. You're going to see that relationships don't always work that way. They are bigger, they're wider. They can be more wonderful, more interesting than you ever imagined. That what you've experienced is not normal. It is a snippet of reality. And as you go through and you, you challenge that you're going to actually have a greater capacity for connection you're going to have a greater connection for authentic connection not this proxy connection that we're talking about where you need shared brokenness or a shared painful experience a shared trauma a shared enemy any of those you can actually go to the act of recognition of of i want this person to be part of my becoming mm-hmm. Because we make friends, and as friends, we make each other. Mm-hmm. We are co-creators of our identity and our existence, and that's the way it's supposed to be. So if you've really leaned into self-growth, great. Now it's time to include more of the with, yeah. and that's what we want to talk about through this series, through this year. We're going to have a, uh looks like a group coaching around this too, yeah, where we yeah. um, lean into what does it look like to create healthy relationships in this way. So look at your individuation, your protection, your connection, and your seeking of confirmation. All of these things are an awareness that has to develop if we're going to develop healthier Mm -hmm. connections. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get deeper into this, and it's going to be good. Yeah. So thank you for listening. And our hope is that for many of you, this is a more connected year than you may have experienced recently. We want to see healing in the area of connection where people have been hurt, better boundaries for those who need that, more openness and risk for those who have been more isolated and more intentionality towards already good relationships. If you haven't already hit the subscribe so you don't miss anything in this series and you can follow us on Instagram at just art of growth. We will be posting some additional videos through the series about this. And make sure you're signed up for our newsletter at theartofgrowth.org so you know when these group coachings are going to be coming out through this series. And take some time this week to assess where some of your relationships are and where you'd like them to be. But for now, my friends, may you know that it is safe to look at the quality of the relationships you have, to look any of the fears of relationship in the face this year, to notice any protective mechanisms that have been functioning. And may you increase the intentionality and awareness of the quality of the relationships that you are investing in or would like to invest in as an aspect of your investment in yourself. And may grace and compassion towards self and others fuel the foundation of the vulnerability, the curiosity, and presence we can bring to each other. Grace and growth, my friends.